and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I am your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and Postdoctoral Affairs, as well as CFRC. So thank you very much to both of them. Now, if your mates miss the show at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify and CFRC Podcast. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. Today, though, I would like to introduce you to Zoe Davidson, who is doing a Master's of Environmental Studies under the supervision of Dr. Kristen Lowett. So welcome to Grad Chat, Zoe. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this interview because as soon as I heard about what you're doing, it really piqued my interest. So uh, I'm sure it's going to be interesting for everybody else as well. So before I actually get into, and I know I I probably said before I was going to do this after, but I'm going to go straight in. You haven't done a lot of media before, but you did do something with CBC at some stage. I did, yeah. Which was kind of all about your research anyway. What did you do there on CBC and why did they call you up? (laughs) Yeah, so... Honestly, they didn't call me up. I'd love to take credit for it. They, they called my boss up, but she happened to be away, so I... I oh, so uh, you filled in. Lovely. I filled in, yeah. So now I'm on CBC, which is, yeah, right place, right time. This is all linked to my research, but I work at a, a non-profit called Loving Spoonful. Yes. And we started a community training farm uh, at Collins Bay. Um, so it's called the Kingston Community Training Farm. And really, the goal of the program is to get new people into farming so get right. folks in the Kingston community into farming so there was Ramraj from uh, Ontario Morning he was doing a kind of a series on agricultural projects sustainability projects in the southeastern Ontario region and so mm-hmm. he reached out to us and he came to our farm and did a little interview there so that was fun that was my first foray into uh <laughs> into media. And now they just keep calling you. now they just won't stop <laughs> Well, it, first of all, it's great that you do some volunteer work at Loving Spoonful because we know how important that group is for the Kingston community. So hats off to you. Is that kind of like how they wanted to do, why they wanted to do a farm? Loving Spoonful wanted to get into this farm training program? Sorry, so it's not volunteer work. It's it's a job and I, I work part-time while doing my master's. Oh, okay. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so essentially... Loving Spoonful has been expanding its urban agricultural programming for, I would say, I don't know, the last several years. So right. there's, uh, they have community gardens. Uh, for instance, there's a community garden at Calvin Park Library. There's a community garden at Rideau Heights. And all the food that's grown uh, in those gardens are distributed to uh, the community. But the farmer training program was it's actually a collaboration with St. Lawrence College, the yes. City of Kingston, and uh, Corrections Canada, as well as Loving Spoonful. So Loving Spoonful okay. is sort of delivering the project, right. um, and then there's all these other partners that are involved. And it's funded by a Provincial Skills Development Fund uh, grant, which is sort of a, it's like a post-COVID grant to try to get folks who are underemployed into gainful employment. Brilliant. Um, And one of the sectors that has seen a real decline in labor is the agricultural sector. 
So we developed an ecological agriculture farming farmer training program. Uh, so that's what I've been helping to coordinate alongside my boss slash colleague, Ava. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it, though, because I, I love these sort of collaborations. And we all know over the past few years, and, and it's probably, much, of course, a lot longer than that, there's been issues of food insecurity, as you said, you know, it's better better for all of us, more healthy if we can actually have be- uh, real product, you know, fresh produce as opposed to processed produce. Yeah. And, and, and of course, the other side too is the employment side. I, I mean, COVID hit a lot of people hard. And so if there's an industry there that is lacking in, in numbers, it's great to be able to put back in that as well. Yeah, and it, it's really fulfilling this dual role where we've got this like exodus of farmers in the agricultural sector you know typically you know the family farm you've got intergenerational succession so you've Mm -hmm. got you know you're the the parents passing down the farm to their children but less and less kids want to get into children want to do something else now exactly so but then at the same time you've got all of these people kind of like myself who have a green thumb and you know are interested in getting into agriculture but there isn't really a pathway a clear pathway for right for making it in the field because you don't know where to start sometimes sometimes you don't know where to start and then you've got all these other systemic barriers like access to land for instance it's just crazy (laughs) which which is interesting because again Kingston we're very lucky here it's a beautiful city but there is a lot of land around us in the surrounding communities yeah and and where this program is located at Collins Bay it's situated on I don't know the exact number but like several hundred acres of land in the middle of Kingston yeah like the west end of Kingston used to all be farm prison farmland right 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 so we've got a lot of land that could be used I think a lot more productively and sustainably to actually feed our community (laughs) feed our community which I think is the number one thing because I hate hearing whether students can't afford a good meal each day or other members of the Kingston community Um, that's just not on in my in my opinion everyone should be allowed to have you know a good a good meal each day so Mm -hmm. these sorts of programs work work really well which is what I want to get on to is your actual research. Now, you don't have a proper title as yet, but you're basically looking at ecological farmer training programs and their potential role in supporting the development of new ecological farmers using a case study here of the Kingston Community Training Farm. Can you perhaps give us a bit more of an overview of how that is working and how it fits into what you're currently doing with the training program now with Loving Spoonful and the city. Is that in relation directly to what you're trying to do? So you, is your research going to be an extension of what you've already been doing? Yeah, so great questions. When I sought out to do my master's at Queen's, I really wanted to do community-based research. And, you know, when I first arrived here, I tried to make as many connections in the community as possible and to figure out, like, okay, what project can I pursue that will be most beneficial to the community with a you know and I have a specific interest in mm-hmm. sustainable agriculture and I had made this connection with Ayla from Loving Spoonful at the time I was not involved in Loving Spoonful at all as an employee or as a volunteer and she had kind of talked about the importance of new farmer training but they hadn't received any grant or anything it was just kind of it was just a thought, a thought. Uh, and so that was that and I sort of kind of went on and made some other connections and 
um, I had started this research project with the National Farmers Union, looking at okay. equitable land access for right. um, first generation farmers. And then I got this. Then they got this grant, and because I had already established a relationship with Ayla, she reached out to me and asked if I would actually join uh, the organization as an employee and to help develop this program. Fantastic. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And then I started engaging in the program and I was thinking, of, I was, you know, I was working with the NFU and thinking about, you know, equitable land access. And I was like, okay, here's a case study that is bringing up all these tensions that I'm trying to navigate in my head every day. And I wanted mm. to actually think critically about it. So it was right. sort of a way for me to make sense of the work I was doing. Yeah. Um, and then at the same time, I spoke to my boss and it, it seemed like it would be really helpful if I actually carried out a program evaluation. So Which makes sense, yes. <laughs> because there's one thing to do it, but you need to, you, everything we need to evaluate, right? Is it going to work? Is it sustainable? <laughs> yeah, so most of most of, you know, Loving Spoonful's other programming, they'll actually hire on an external say program evaluator, but I was like, "Hey, I'm doing my masters and I'm thinking critically about these things every, you know, anyway and I'm been doing a lot of the literature and I'm seeing what's happening every day let me do it (laughs) so basically I'm doing sort of a program evaluation you know granted it's it's a biased program evaluation but I'm trying to put on my master's hat right so you're doing two two for one you're getting a twofer (laughs) aren't you you're getting two for one you're gonna get hopefully get your degree and also helping the the program yeah so somehow it it went through with the (laughs) the uh, research ethics board and you know I state I preface my uh, research with, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I'm some sort of unbiased observer. I have an intimate relationship with the folks who I'm interviewing, but I'm doing my best to... But I guess when you're evaluating too, I mean, it's one thing, you're evaluating how it's working here in Kingston, for Mm -hmm. instance, but you can also add to that, well, here's a model that could be used elsewhere. Yeah, exactly. And so Uh, I'm bringing in, like, other literature and other mm-hmm. kind of programs that you know exist in well exactly because even on this one you're right what can I, what can we borrow from something else that's been done that would fit this program too so so it is it is a research analysis because you're you're still having to investigate other options mm-hmm. and like in lab work it's trial and error what works and what doesn't totally yeah so Oh, I wouldn't worry about you not thinking it's the right thing. I think it's awesome. In oh, fact, it makes it makes it very practical, right? There's a lot of times people see research as people just putting all these words together and then nothing happens with it, which is, quite frankly, far from the truth. A lot of things get ha- happen from research that has been done. Mm-hmm. Yours is a very will be a very obvious to a lot of people. Mm-hmm what comes from your research some people don't see there's for instance a lot of stuff going on in cancer research but we don't know well this little section of it was done by research kind of thing yeah exactly Um, we just know the end product is someone's hopefully being saved Mm -hmm. Um, yours is going to be very very obvious with with things out there yeah and I I think there is a key difference you know humanities or social science research Mm -hmm. versus the natural sciences I think the natural sciences you know you can typically see a more clear link towards its, its application right um for instance cancer research i think with humanities and social science it's a little bit more difficult and but you are in environmental studies true so, so it is an interdisciplinary degree mm-hmm. all of our uh, courses you know have been quite interdisciplinary. but i think that's that's the one of the novelties of your particular program it is interdisciplinary mm-hmm. you are bringing in different ways mm-hmm. of doing things but there's still a very definite outcome mm-hmm. here so 
I think it's fab. So what are the barriers facing first-generation farmers and ent- entering the industry? Because it's actually strange to even use the word first-generation farmers because, as you said before, usually farming has been handed down from one generation mm. to the next. So, so what, what do you think the barriers are currently? Yeah, well, there are a lot. <laughs> uh, chapter one. <laughs> chapter one, no, seriously, that is like the, the, yeah. that's where I kind of start. Uh, and I can speak from personal experience. After I finished my undergrad, I spent a couple of years farming. Right. And I was witness to many of the barriers that farmers face. Farmers who, you know, have either been farming for a long time and they're not first generation farmers, but also first generation farmers, the barriers. Yes. It's a, a farmer run union to try to increase land access, particularly for first generation farmers and um, farmers who historically experienced historically and presently experienced barriers to land access indigenous peoples people of color immigrants you know we most of us are aware of migrant laborers and i don't know the statistic off off of hand but you know a significant portion of our food is grown at the hands of migrant laborers right anyway i i digress land access is a huge huge barrier you know and also like we think about increasing land access say for indigenous folks and indigenous food provisioning practices i mean then we can get into this whole other discussion about you know private property relations and you know how that structures who who has access to land and who doesn't is what is water an issue water a huge issue <laughs> great question <laughs> huge issue i mean because yeah. with climate change these days i mean even the places before where never had to worry about water they may have to now because of weather weather's changing yeah yeah it's huge and and so um you know my research is mainly looking at uh sustainable agriculture right which and and i would say this this idea of agroecology which is really about doing agriculture to feed humans but also to feed the land you know? right yes, um, yes so it's a more ecological so it's looking to, after itself so it can yeah. regenerate itself and yeah, mm-hmm. and there we are seeing this kind of resurgence of, you know, folks who are interested, or resurgence, but also kind of this change in terms of you know folks who are interested in, in kind of going that route. Right. And there's very there you know there's a lot of different ways to actually do sustainable agriculture. Yeah. So we don't want to rape the land. We want to be able to keep using it. So yeah. we have to renew it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So land then is the biggie. I would say land is a biggie. Capital is a biggie. Right, um, to get started. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so... Because of equipment costs and... Huge. And that's why I think actually ecological agriculture or agroecology, which typically takes place on a much smaller scale, it's kind of seen as more human-powered agriculture as opposed to machine-powered agriculture. Right, right. Um, so most of it uses kind of low-till methods. Right. Um, so going back 100 years ago of how we used to till the land... Exactly. And, and now it doesn't it do away with like scientific progress or technology mm. at all. Right. Uh, I think agroecology tries to actually integrate, um, you know, a lot of right. scientific innovations, but also um, more sustainable methods. And, right. you know, often sustainable methods are actually just going back to the old ways. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which we're discovering. And know. I guess one of the other barriers is, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, to me, it sounds like having little co-ops and things where, first of all, people can share machinery if machinery is required. So you're not not one. This farm's buying it, and another farm's buying it. Let's you know, let's just share. <laughs> 
because that would be a, a, another way to reduce costs. But also what happened is a barrier if if some of the land that's being used for some of these programs or for people who want to be first-generation farmer comes in the issue of the lands that are around. If you want to be organic and the lands around are, are not, <laughs> that would be another barrier, wouldn't it? Sure. I mean, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think you'd be surprised at how small the buffer zone is to actually be certified as organic. Oh, is that right? Okay. So, like, for instance, we have a firmware training program on two acres of land at Collins Bay, mm-hmm. and they have been doing non-organic practices for a very long time. Uh, and when we got the land, like, everything was sprayed with Roundup. So you've and, got to get that out of the system, though, don't you? Yeah, and it takes uh, – I don't know what the technicalities of uh, transitioning to organic – is exactly, but I don't think the buffer zone is actually more than like 30 meters. Oh, that's and not much at all. <laughs> no, it's not no. at all. And I, and I could be wrong, it could be even 30 feet, but I, it's actually not a lot. And in order to get organic certification, which I also would like to, to point out is, is is not a requirement of ecological agriculture. You don't need to be organically certified no, to that's be true. doing sustainable but agriculture. But if someone wanted to, yeah. there's that, that could be a, an additional barrier. Yeah. And then I would say the last piece, in addition to land and capital, is knowledge. So access to ecological mm, knowledge, which is right. actually the piece that I'm looking at in okay. my in my research. Um, so this is a farmer training program, and we're trying to fill a gap in terms of access to ecological knowledge uh, in the community. So, if okay, I'm some- so explain so explain that program then. So explain the program a bit more. Sure. So we recruited about 30 folks in the Kingston community to partake in this program. Mm-hmm. And they put their hand up? They put their hand up, yeah. So we recruited through a variety of kind of social service agencies in mm-hmm. Kingston. So Kingston Employment Services, Kingston Immigration Services, Kingston Mental Health Services, but also a number of other institutions, Queen's University. There's some folks from Queen's who are in our farmer training program, St. Lawrence College. Um, Also just, you know, really anyone in the community. And so we we, we got this grant early late in the season, so we kind of just took anyone who wanted to join. (laughs) And it's a free program. So there was about uh, 30 folks, and they come to our farm on site um, one morning a week. Okay. There's a lot of flexibility in terms of when they can come. A lot of the folks who are in the program are working full-time jobs right. or have dependents at home. And that's also another gap we're trying to fill because mm-hmm. typically if you want to kind of venture into agriculture, you have to kind of give up everything. Well, you think it's it. a 24-7 job, isn't it? That's <laughs> it is eventually. That's what some people it's, off. It's 24-7. It is eventually. Um, but there's also this like privileged component of of being able to access that knowledge and that experience so like I look at myself the reason I got into ecological agriculture was because you know I decided to go traveling and I started woofing I don't know if you're familiar with woofing is that no (laughs) I have heard of it but remind me what the acronym stands for yeah it's willing workers on organic farms there you go and it's it's like the old kibbutzes Totally. Well, I had started, I actually woofed on a kibbutz. Oh, okay. (laughs) There you go. There you go. Yeah, I was woofing on an olive grove in... uh, Awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. So it's kind of a way for people to travel Mm -hmm. 
and you know they pay for the farmer pays for your room and board and you do like do the job five or six hours of work a day so that's a privilege right like I'm traveling I yeah. don't have anyone that I'm you know accountable to and then when I got back I wanted to like continue to gain experience in the agriculture sector so I took right. on a very low paid internship on a lettuce farm in Prince Edward County okay and then from there, you know, I went from one farm to the next, and I actually started getting paid, like, a real wage, which was great. But I was able to start... You learn. got the foot in the door, yes. which was the start. Yes. Myself and many like-minded, university-educated young people mm-hmm. were the other interns, right? Right. So it's a certain demographic, and we're trying to actually expand who gets to be a farmer. That's what this program is for. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of that is working around people's schedules. So that if you're a nurse, if you're a single mother, you could actually join the sector too. Right. So is it more about the training program, learn, apart from learning farm, what farming is all about, but also wanting to work within a specific community? And to, is, it, is it a co-op farm or is it, could people go out after they learned this? and have their own farm? Or is it all about learning about how to work with others so everyone gets to benefit mm-hmm. the, or the, have the privilege of working on a farm in some capacity, yeah. as well as make, producing food and things that could be used, whether it's for that particular group or whether it's for the greater community? Yeah, so this is really a training and employment program and part of the practical component is the on-farm training so the first six months are on farm you're the participants are doing on-farm training one morning a week they're welcome to come multiple mornings and some did but right at minimum you need to come one morning morning a week and then they're also doing online training right. through the Ecological Farmers Associ- Association of Ontario, okay. which developed, you know, a series of modules that teach kind of the theory and, you know, practical side of right. ecological agriculture. And then um, after the farming season, so it's a kind of an eight-month program, and after the farming season, St. Lawrence College has been delivering skills training program that is specific to agriculture so i yesterday i actually did a uh, chainsaw safety training course that could be important yeah exactly like you farmers kind of need to do it all they Um, do (laughs) so there was three weeks of carpentry there was three weeks of small engine maintenance right there was a few weeks of electrical and then we're doing tree pruning and orchard maintenance next week we're going to an orchardist his place uh just outside of Kingston. Brilliant. So St. Lawrence College was, because we partnered with them, mm-hmm. they were able to provide this because they have instructors to do that. Brilliant. So then afterwards, our goal is to find employment for these folks okay. uh, in the sustainable agriculture industry. So some of them might so go So it's on. not necessarily make, create their own. They could be going to work with other people. Yeah, and I think if you, you know, if you want to get into it, it's good to gain experience on another farm before mm-hmm. starting your own. Well, true. But really because this is an employment program, we are right. somewhat limited by the metrics of our funder, <laughs> right? right? In terms of in terms of success. So yeah, like fair enough. success for them is a certain percentage of We'll go um, and work on farms. Yeah. So we've been collaborating with a bunch of farmers, you know, in the Kingston community who are eager to hire on um 
But what point does that become saturated? You'd be surprised at oh, really? how many farmers around here are desperate for laborers. Oh, is that right? Desperate. Uh, okay. Because, I mean, that's always the thing about these. I mean, cause there's one thing creating a program where people can learn how to be farmers, regardless of what size they want to make, mm-hmm. but they can learn about it and they can even go off and do it or they've just got that knowledge. Mm-hmm. But there's another thing of training people, like an apprenticeship, to then go and gain employment at other other people's farms yeah not everyone may want to do that long term they may just want i'm just really curious about how to do this i've always wanted to learn and at the end of the day i'm just going to have a little backyard veggie patch yeah exactly so i mean that's part of my program evaluation i'm asking people okay what do you want to do once you mm-hmm. finish here what did you learn uh how did this program benefit you and you know do you actually want to go and work on a farm? Mm-hmm. If so, what are the barriers to to, to actually that. to doing that? And what one of the things that I learned from conducting my research is, you know, we're trying to kind of tackle some of these barriers within our program. For instance, providing making our program really flexible for people who have full time right. employment or, right. or or doing shift work. We're also uh, located in a city environment, and mm-hmm. it's accessible by bus and by bike. So folks who don't have transportation can come and take part in our program. Uh, We're also providing wraparound supports for folks who can't afford kind of a bus pass or cost of equipment and, you know, farm clothing, even childcare support. Right, that's great. But then those barriers don't just disappear once they're done the program. No, and that's the thing, right. So the people who signed up now, what did they give you for the reason wanting to join the program? Great question. It's so diverse. Everyone's coming from very different Mm -hmm. uh, walks of life. For some folks, this was really more of a way to integrate into the community and find like-minded people and to gain some skills that, um, you know, hopefully they can take with them in life, wherever that leads them. Um, For others, uh, for instance, there's one individual in our program who has land of his own, um, okay. but doesn't know where to what start. To do. Right. Uh, he's a new immigrant to Canada. Um, he's been a lot of people who joined the program. Their only knowledge, prior knowledge and experience in ecological farming is just watching YouTube videos of like homesteaders. And, right, right. and so they've been following YouTube videos and, you know, a lot of the feedback that I got was like, YouTube told me to do this, but it, it didn't work. <laughs> um, and part of, you know, the philosophy around sustainable agriculture and agroecology um, is locally specific farming, right? Mm-hmm. And also developing farmer networks, right? So for a new immigrant, um, he wasn't able to actually tap into the knowledge of because of like a language barrier, a cultural barrier, right. and also just being new, he didn't really have this network to yes. tap into. And that takes time. Yeah, and it takes time. Mm-hmm. So for him, this program was really, really helpful. It opened doors for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's interesting too that you you talk about this because one of the things I know, you know, Kingston's behind the Kingston City is behind this, and I wonder down the track if if Kings the city of Kingston or even the province has some land that's available that then, which this could be used as a model in other places, right? Then the city takes on that land 
get they get trained through a program like yours and then they come and work for the city on this land to provide food so they get paid for working but then they use the food to help the people in the city who can't afford the food is that yeah, an yeah. ultimate aim or i love that it's like have you done this research before no but this. to me that's just practical <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no, to me that seems a, a natural progression because the city's always trying to find way. I mean, look at all the food banks and things that are crying out for good food to mm-hmm. be able to provide to those that can't afford it. Mm-hmm. What a great way for the city to give back and help those less fortunate in those areas, but also in employing people who have learnt new things. So it keeps people in the city to work, and maybe some of those people who are working that job actually need that food themselves. Yeah this concept of like a community land trust Mm -hmm. for instance it could be a land trust that's just the city decides to you know purchase a number of acres of land and then you know they are now going to stipulate what can happen on that land and maybe they decide okay we want sustainable agriculture to be conducted on this plot of land so that's like there are like legal avenues to actually do that and i think it's brilliant you know unfortunately basically (laughs) i think you know, the city is interested in land that's going to actually make money. <laughs> right, yes. And there's, you know, a Which lot more... Which is understandable. More, there's a lot more money to be made by, you know, selling land off to a developer, and then they right. make, you know, say, homes off of that land, and right. uh, or commercial, there's commercial value off that land, mm. to, to make a case. Because you need, if you're building, say, an apartment complex, you can you can make a lot of money off of an eighth of an acre of land. Yes. But for farming, you need need a number of acres. So it's hard to make a case, but I think that's where we need to head. And it also means kind of revaluing land. Yeah, there's a lot there too. But you're right. I mean, the city still needs to make money to be able to pay for infrastructure and stuff like that. So, I mean, I I totally get that. Sometimes (laughs) you wish you... Some of those big developers, for instance, that come into various cities and reap the benefits... Perhaps they should be giving something back to say, well, this land we we will support. Mm. We won't put anything on it, but that can be for producing food that could be used within the city. Yeah, exactly. And That's you a know, big it, ask, I know, but... <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just private developers coming in. No. Like, you know, there's a lot of, you know, public-private partnerships that are actually leading this development. Right. So I think a lot of cities are actually, you know, encouraging... Yeah. developers to come in so are you finding the program satisfying for yourself yeah I would say incredibly so when I applied to my master's I also applied to teachers college right and teaching is something that has always interested in me and maybe something I'll pursue um, more formally after this right. um, but I would say uh, it's kind of a perfect mix for me in terms of being able to do some it's of that all your loves teaching. isn't it yeah it's all my loves yeah <laughs> get to do some agriculture get to do some teaching and also kind of that community development which um, interests me as well so it's been very fulfilling I have to say it's challenging as I'm sure a lot of students know to balance work and um, school but I think yeah. the fact that there's so much cross-pollination between which my helps. work and school it, it helps and uh and all the partners happy right now with the program? Hugely, like it's hugely. great. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, so it's it's really neat. It's it's nice. It's a cool experience for me to be kind of on the 
developing stage of this program to see it develop right um, instead of just coming in after it's yeah opened. yeah well you've got an a fantastic project that you've been working on and uh, you've clearly got the passion behind it <laughs> it kind of helps doesn't it <laughs> it does yeah I don't think I could do it if it wasn't like I don't think I could do a research around this if I wasn't passionate about it I don't know <laughs> well I think I think it ticks a lot of boxes for you and and for for other people too because clearly it's a it's a program the fact that you got people putting their hand up straight away to be part of it shows there's an interest Mm-hmm. And I, I think sorry. also post COVID, people want to get out. People want to get out, and, and I think people are really interested in learning how to like look after the land, l- look after the land, look after themselves, and yeah. grow food for themselves. Right. We have like, you know, random f- homeowners who come by our farm all the time and like want to participate in the training because they're like, I want to know how to grow carrots in my backyard. Right. You know. So I think there's huge interest. Um, so could potentially then it grow into two pits one that people want to learn because they want it as a a full-time job yeah and another one for those I want to just grow a veggie patch in my backyard but I don't know where to start yeah yeah I think so so Um, have two prongs exactly and I think you know the funding that we have for this program is really for one of those prongs but maybe a sustainable funding model could be actually charging you know say homeowners for that education right right you know I mean we do want to this to be this this knowledge to be more democratized but right. we also need it to be a sustainable program <laughs> so. correct yes it's a bit of a catch-22 sometimes yeah. but well well done and uh, Zoe I can't thank you enough for, for coming on the show thanks um, oh, I hope fun. you enjoyed it I loved talking about my interests so it's all good <laughs> and it's, it's cool to be in the radio station it so, is yeah. i love it being here so i appreciate you making the effort to get here so thank you very much so that's it everyone a another week of grad chat sadly comes to an end so don't forget you can download the show tomorrow from either itunes google Podcasts, spotify or cfrc podcast type in a grad chat until next week this is cj the dj signing off with a big hooray for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.